Blackstone Audio presents Love Goes to Buildings on Fire Five Years in New York That Changed Music Forever by Will Hermes This book is read by Adam Verner For Anne and Gia Preface Beneath the post-war apartments and garden duplexes of fresh meadows, a neighborhood in Queens marked by a conspicuous shortage of meadows, there was a network of bomb shelters. They were constructed as part of the namesake housing development built by the New York Life Insurance Company back in the late 40s and were accessible via doors in the apartment tower basements, if you had the key. My friend Chris's dad worked in the complex, so Chris had the key. In the mid-70s, when I was a teenager, the bomb shelters were our clubhouse. The bunch of us, all guys, hung out, smoked Marlboros and joints, drank Dr. Pepper and Bud Tallboys. We flipped through comic books, Mad, National Lampoon, porn, talked about girls, none would ever set foot down there, and marveled at the exploits of older kids, like Dave's brother, a pre-med Ivy Leaguer who had fallen into the barbecue at a family gathering while bombed on quaaludes. We talked about the movies we loved— and we talked about music. We were obsessed with music. Sometimes, if the weather was nice, in summer, when dusk came late, we'd slip out of our houses after dinner and head for the roof of what we called the 13-story building. Due to superstition, many tall buildings do not have 13th floors. Their elevators have buttons for 12, then 14. This apartment tower accepted reality. I admired that. We'd pile in, press 13, then scramble out, up the final flight of stairs and through the fire door. And there it was. The city. We'd watch the sun sink behind the Manhattan skyline in a riot of pollution-enhanced reds and oranges, while countless unimaginable scenes played out behind countless glowing windows. A hundred thousand points of amazing and who-knew-how depraved light. We were ready to fly to them. Much has been written about New York City in the 70s, how bleak and desperate things were. The city had careened into bankruptcy, crime was out of control, the visionary idealism of the 60s was mostly kaput. For a kid growing up then, it was pretty dispiriting. The 60s was an awesome party that we had missed, and we were left to drink its backwash. The pot wasn't as cheap, the LSD wasn't as pure, the free love, as we saw in our parents' messy divorces and those health-class horror stories, was no longer so free. Even the music was failing, it seemed. Jimmy, Janice, and Jim were dead. The Beatles and the Velvet Underground had split. Sly and the Family Stone were unraveling amid mounds of cocaine. The Grateful Dead buried Pigpen. Dylan grew a beard and moved to Los Angeles. R&B was losing power as slick soul and featherweight funk took over. Jazz and classical music seemed irrelevant. The former groping fusions or post-Coltrane caterwauls. The latter dead-ended in sexless serialist cul-de-sacs. There remains a myth that the early to mid-seventies, post-Aquarian revolution, before punk and hip-hop begot the new age, was a cultural dead zone. And yet... Amid the skyscrapers we marveled at from the 13-story building, down on the streets, 
Artists were breaking music apart and rebuilding it for a new era. Cool Herc, Africa Bombada, and Grandmaster Flash hot-wired street parties with collaged shards of vinyl LPs. The New York Dolls stripped rock and roll to its frame and wrapped it in gender-fuck drag, taking a cue from Warhol's transvestite glamour queens. Bruce Springsteen and Patti Smith, both bust in from Jersey, took a cue from the elusive Dylan, combining rock and poetry into new shapes. Downtown, David Mancuso and Nicky Ciano were inventing the modern disco and the art of club mixing. Uptown, Eddie Palmieri, Willie Colon, and the Fania All-Stars were hot-rotting Cuban music into multi-culty salsa, making East Harlem and the South Bronx the global center of forward-looking Spanish-language music. In the wake of Miles Davis's funk fusions, jazz players were setting up shop in...